Hello again and welcome back people of the internet. On today's episode of the Quantum Podcast, I have on former police interceptor Ben Pearson. Ben is a former police interceptor. He spent 20 years in the police force in the UK before his career came tumbling down as a result of the PTSD he'd been suffering with and left unresolved for many years. Today, Ben is a TV show host, a podcast host, an author, a men's mental health advocate and much more. We spoke about his career in the police, how he came up, which departments he worked in throughout, the training he went through as he built his way up through the police, specifically as a police interceptor, how he ended up on the police interceptor show. We also spoke about the incidences which led to his career coming to a halt. We spoke about his recovery from the PTSD, how he resolved his issues, how he still deals with them today. And then also we talk about the future of the police and how the training may not be sufficient for what the job is. So today's episode is a bit different. It's gonna be split into two parts with the first episode out this week and the second episode out next Monday. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. It's a fascinating conversation that I had with Ben and he's such a great individual. So please go follow him and make sure you support him by his book buy his merch, and also watch some of his videos on men's mental health. It's really inspiring, and I hope you take something from what he has to say in these episodes. Also, before we get going, please remember to like and subscribe and share the podcast with anyone who may be interested. I would like to grow it as big as possible, and I can't do that without your help. So it's really appreciated if you do share with anyone. So thank you very, very much for all the support so far, and I hope you enjoy. And you were in the police for over 20 years. So I want to kind of take it back and ask why the police of all jobs? Um, it's it's really weird. I'm, I'm, I'm a, when were you born? What year were you born no, in? 99. Okay. Only two years after <laughs> I joined. Um, I, were, I were a kid at 70s and 80s. And in those times, there were massive programs on TV You've got to understand we only had three channels in early 80s and went to four channels. There were no Sky TV, there were none of that. So things that were put on, there were a lot of American programs put on. So things like A-Team, have you heard of that? Yeah, so everyone's heard of A-Team. Right, well, Chips, there were Fall Guy, there were Dempsey Matepiece, there were all these 80s cop programs for professionals. And it was just, everything was based around cops. So it was were, it were flooded at you 24 hours a day on, on your British TV channels. Um I loved it. I love what I stood for. But times have changed, and times back then were that's where your proper old school beat Bobby walking around in his tunic. Some of them had capes, um, and then everyone thought that English police had guns, but they didn't. It it was one of these really grey areas in like seventies and eighties, um, and I just loved it. But I've always been stupid. I've always been dyslexic. I've always been one of these lads at school that never really tried. So I never thought I actually thought I'd get in. I never thought there'd be an opportunity for me to do it. And I remember leaving my friend's house when I was about 17 and the shop in front of me blew up. Um, Debra came out. It was proper like what you see on TV, proper all stuff wow. came across the road, flames. And then we got to, we, I got out of the car, got to the front of the, the premises and there were a man laying in the premises and he was like burning. So me and this other guy went in and pulled him out. Obviously, my hands were burned, um, pulled this bloke out and he literally got up. It was really badly burned, like all air had gone off his face, uh, back of his head and stuff. Um, probably potential fail. The car skidded up and he jumped in this car and got off and it turned out it was a shopkeeper and he'd basically done an insurance job at the shop. Wow. Started, to, started to set fire to the shop doing like gas explosion and it blew up and blew him Jesus. up. And blew the shop up. So one of his mates, I obviously sat around the corner, picked him up. Massive inquiry into it and obviously it were all in local papers. I've still got the paper clipping upstairs. Um, which I can actually take a photograph and send you so you can put that clip oh, yeah. in somewhere in your video if you want. 100%. And then, yeah, and it, that were it then. I loved it and my thoughts all like disappeared. But then I got a job selling motorbikes at a local motorcycle dealership and it was selling BMWs. Um, and everyone was all BMW in like 2000, 2001, ironically, were Bobby. And everyone were like, you need to apply, you've got right skills to for a job. And, I'd never thought I'd get in. I applied, and then that were it. I went for the um, interview. I went for the fitness. I went for the um, you do like a load of tests before and called carousel, where you, they'd say to you, right, just say for it. In Ethan, in this room now, you've got thirty seconds to read this bio on the. In this room now, you've got a kid who's lost. You are the security guard at Arndale Shopping Centre. You've got nine minutes, exactly nine minutes, not eight minutes forty. 
and not nine minutes 15. You've got exactly nine minutes, uh, three, two, one, beep, buzzer goes on the door and you walk through and there's someone sat in the corner of a clipboard and there's like a young lad sat there or whatever, or there's a mum sat there saying, I've just lost my son. And you're like, uh, uh, what do I do? Oh my you, God. You've got to, you've got to think on your feet. Well, I, I, and you've got, to, so it's literally, it's not just like jumping in and going, right, we'll, we'll do this. It's literally, you've got a high iron bend uh, and you, it's about introducing yourself. It's about making them feel secure. It's about, and I think you had four or five of them. And one of them was someone that had been sexually touched at work. And they didn't want to work on the same team as somebody else, but they didn't want the police to get involved and they didn't want the part. So you had to like, I am so inside the manager. I've, and I'd never had experience with all like that. So yeah. basically past that. And as soon as I, I, I got a letter saying, congratulations, you joined. It's like my life flipped upside down really quickly. Um, I went on a massive learning curve. So everything I thought I was worldly wise to, I technically I found out that one. And I found out that there were a lot out there to learn and do. But I loved it. And everything that was given to me, I thrived on. I thrived on the foot chases. I thrived on the pursuits. I thrived on the taking the burglars down. And even though I would associate the paperwork, I thrived on the um, the challenges every day you had to meet and the conflict situations you had to deal with. And I just, I just loved it. I just, and I felt like I excelled, even though I probably, I might not have done, and I might have been obeying some people, some sergeants. But I actually felt like I excelled. And yeah, and it's just a, a job that I, I took until I got pulled. It's like a job that I took for life. So what was the first role you actually did within the police, Anne? So when you get into the police, you're with a tutor constable. Um, so you're with someone for 10 weeks. And if they think you're fit enough at the end of it, they'll sign you off and you go on what's called independent patrol. And that's basically me kicking you out at police station. After all your law training at college or whatever you want to do it or wherever you go, 10 weeks independent patrol. So you go to some sudden deaths and you go to some shoplifters. And then that's it. I just kick you out of police station. So you open the door and you start back at police station. Like, wait, bright yellow jacket on, Igor's jacket. So my first job was footbeat. It was just patrol on uniform, just footbeat walking around a, a town centre called Keithley. And, and I, this is so weird, really weird. But you don't realise you've got to walk a certain way. You don't just put the gear on and walk because you don't look like a bobby. You've got to look like a bobby. So you've like got their to, hands. Yeah, Hansy, so uh, yeah. I know it sounds stupid. You 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 like that, and they'll say, right, stand up. So you, you stand up, put your chest out a little bit, right, and then you start walking. And you know you walk. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa <laughs> slow down. You walk one step for every two. So you like, and you you're just doing this, and then you've got to look at yourself in the shop window. It's not like looking at yourself in the shop window and going, look at me. It's like right, make sure you. So that's when you see Bobby's walking. You know, on footbeat, and they're probably walking old school. Um, and that's why we always say when you're off on holiday and you're like sat in a bar in Mallorca and a Bobby walks in who's you never met before, you're like, he's a police officer. Because it's how they walk in, it's how they and it's a it's it a becomes bit of a ingrained. That, yeah, and it's a bit of a thing that's you, you talk for because if you walk in a pub full of 200 Everton fans, you've got to walk in with a presence of we are the police. You've got to walk yeah. into a, a fatal scene where someone's dead on the floor walking like right, we're taking charge of this rather than just walking in willy-nilly. It's all about um, portraying an image of trust, portraying uh, an image of security and making sure that civilians know they're safe. So it's everything. It's like, I know it's not sure it's a bit of acting, really. So, yeah, I, I did patrol, and then I went on to mobile patrol, so they give me eventually give me a car. Um, went, so I did the same sort of thing, but then in, in a beat car, so to speak. Then I went on to the drugs team, and then I went to be a... a, a police tutor so when say like you came you were with me for 10 weeks and i'd sign you off and yeah. then eventually i just got involved in more and more car chases in the beat car and then an application for traffic came up and i applied and i got in the traffic and never looked back it was um it, it's like the the best job you can get you get given all the tools it's imagine going into this special room and it's just flooded out with all this like james bond gear and then they <laughs> said there's car outside for you and they said just go Go out on streets yeah. and go get the bad guys, and uh, yeah, that were it. It was it were the the best job you can sort of like ever think about. I suppose all I probably needed extra were a gun and an helicopter. <laughs> go the American way. Yeah, but see, which which was the best job you had up until that point of being a traffic cop? Cop, obviously, being like in the the drug side of it, you're on the you know the street patrol side of it and all that sort of stuff. But which was the best one? I think when you look back and you you've got to understand you weren't even born or you well you were probably like one year old two year old 
So time was massively different. Um, there were none of these mobile phones that take pictures. There were none of this um, culture that we're living in now. Um, so everything was sort of like different and the government's rules were different as in what they wanted you to, to do. So I know it's, this is going to sound really boring. So just let me like, take you on this little bit of a journey. Go for it. When I, when I first joined, you could go to a punch up in the street and say, right, you and your mate have had a bit of a ding dong. Right, jog on. You go that way. You go that way. Jog on. And that were it. You just say, go away. Go up and go away. Then government sort of changed its way of thinking and you had to record a crime. So everything had to be crime recorded and it was bizarre. So you could go, you get a job, X-Ray Road, Mill 52, can you go to a fight outside Weatherspoons? You get there, there'll be no one there. But they want you to record a crime saying that there were fights. So you'd have to put a fight on with unknown suspects, unknown complainants, unknown witnesses. Suspects make off in unseen direction, unknown of injuries. And they'd make you want to investigate it. And you're like, it made the job harder. Does that make sense? Yeah. Then you turn up at somewhere where you probably had a punch up with your mate and you wouldn't tell us all. And we'd have to like then treat you as a victim. And then you're like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to know. It's like, it's my mate. Then they'd make us then troll through CCTV and make media inquiries. And they made the job massively, massively hard for what it was. Um, and that was the time when I started tutoring. Now, I love the job for tutoring because I love the job of showing people how to get on. Um, and making sure they were trained properly, they did everything properly by the book. But what I didn't like is I didn't like the way that the government and everything were making you record things. That's why I stopped being a tutor. So you could go back. It was tutoring was one of the best things you could do before I went traffic. Don't get me wrong, the drug scene was one of these things that you'd see on TV where you, you never saw us. You don't know who we are. You don't know what we're doing. And then we just ram a car in town centre, smash up windows, drag them out, start strangling these people outside the road. And within two seconds, car had disappeared. And you'd think, well, why are you strangling? But it turned out he put like 50 wraps of cocaine or heroin in his mouth and he was trying to swallow it. So you'd wow. have to put your hands around his mouth because if he swallowed it and it ruptured, he'd die. Yeah. Well, it was one of those things you'd see is acting really hard, but we wouldn't be acting hard. We'd just be stopping that drugs from being swallowed. Um, that were a good job. But again, that led to all different things. You could lead to, you were dealing with very dangerous people. You were working on a lot of time. That were a good job, but it wasn't, what I were bred to do, if that makes sense. I'm not that sort of person. I've got a life. I've got a work-life balance. So for me, tutoring and showing young people how to get on in job um, and making sure they had the best foundations to be the bobbies they were going to be now. And most of my sergeants now, um, they've been in like probably, what, 15, 16 years, if not a bit longer. The most of sergeants, some have gone even higher. Um, all the people I did look after have all specialised. And so I'm quite proud that I can look back and say they were mine, if that makes sense. I, um, yeah. When they're older, they'll be like, oh, yeah, Ben taught me this, that, and other. And it was the same when I joined Traffic. Um, I've had baby Ben. I don't know if you've seen him on Interceptors. He oh, was, hey, I used to I used to watch Interceptors every time I went around to my nan's house. She'd have it right. on and I'd be sat there watching it with her. And that's how I sort of got to know who you were. Then right. see YouTube stuff is because yeah. literally it was like I'd go see her every day when I was still back home. And every day be like, right, we're putting interceptors on because it's always on Paramount. And we're like, yeah. oh go on then and just sit there for an hour. And that was our thing just to watch that. <laughs> well, um, baby Ben that was my partner on the interceptors. So he came into traffic and I was a shooter then in traffic as well. So I was fully qualified in traffic and I was, I was good at what I did. So when someone comes in, they'll say, Right, can you teach these for and it's normally a two year apprenticeship. Um, you're going to let them go on their own after like probably a year, but they come with you then and you show them how to deal with fails, you show them how to deal with serious collisions, uh, how to get best evidence for speeders, due care, dangerous driving. Uh, and I taught him, and then, again, that's another thing that you get to, you, you sort of scale yourself up, you're not just dealing with beat jobs, you, you're now an operational support officer, you, you're force-wide, so you can go anywhere in force, you can certainly go anywhere in England. Uh, and then they'll pull you over, just say, it, you, you could, in theory, say, we're in West Yorkshire. They could, in theory, have a multiple fatal in East Yorkshire and not have enough traffic cops and say, right, we need you to go over. We don't have boundaries like you do in America. Now, I don't yeah. know if you've got them over there, but you can technically go anywhere. And because your skills are in high demand, so we'd have force response. So we were part of motorcycle unit. So we did motorcycle escorting for royal families and um delegates and things like that and you could do it for uh, Tour de France so you could go anywhere in England so they could still bring up a certain one year X, Y and Z for Olympics so, we, so the job was skill but it were on a 
bigger context rather than being just beating local area. So yeah, yeah, I suppose looking back at what tutoring, if uh, if that makes sense. How hard was the tutoring? Because you say like, oh, you know, I taught them this situation. Like, say someone's just, you know, like a sudden death or what have you. Or there's a high stakes like a car chase or something going on and you've got to teach him on the job. How yeah. do you manage to balance like, say you're driving at 100 mile an hour chasing someone down the motorway and you're trying to teach this guy like, oh, this is where you do this or this is where you do that. How do you think of all these different things while you're doing this high stakes situation? It's it's you start at basics really. So if I were with you and just say for instance you came with me, little things like we'd have a full day of you not doing anything or full two days of you not doing anything. I'd just get you in car and I'd drive you around. I get you out walking in uniform. I get you comfortable in knowing who you are because one of the main things is it's all right you wearing a uniform, but if you don't have that walk and you don't have that confidence that when you're wearing your uniform, you are the man that can stand in the road and put your hand up and say you stop stop the traffic. You can't go any further, roads blocked. And that's what a lot of Bobbies struggle with when they come out of um, the training. So it's about getting them comfortable in the role. Then you start a little bit at the bottom. You start, right, do a radio transmission. So we are X-Ray Romeo 5-2, or we are Hotel Tango 2-3. So I'll just say, just get on radio, click radio, when there's a gap, and just say XW, which is a control room, XW, Hotel Tango 2-3, you're receiving. Then they'll say, Hotel Tango 2-3, go ahead. And you'll say, can I just have a moving vehicle check? And then we'll get your moving vehicle check. Then we'll stop the car and we'll get the person. And all I'll say is I'll do all the talking. You don't have to do anything. But when I say, what's your name, gentlemen? I want you to have your pen ready and want you to write down John Smith, his date of birth, his address, his phone number. And then when I get him out of the car, I'll say, right, what's his what's his name? Peter Poffelfwey. And you're like, where have you got that from? His date of birth's completely wrong because your head spins and you don't, you're not listening. And it's, it's like building your building blocks. Is what we always say we're like an upside down pyramid. You start at nothing, then every day you're getting wider and wider, and your experience is getting bigger and bigger. So hopefully after the first week, you're comfortable just using the radio. And as long as you can use the radio and have a piece of have a pad where you can write down people's details, that's the majority of your job. That's all you need to do is use the radio and write down the people's details. It's that simple. So then when we're in a pursuit, I'm trained to be able to drive the car, think of road traffic law, think of how my vehicle's driving, think of what the suspect vehicle's driving, do full commentary myself without them doing it. So I can, you know, vehicle is now right, right, right. We are nine zero miles an hour. And formulate a TPAP plan of getting other units into the area, coordinate with MPAS, which is helicopter, and set a plan up as ground commander. That's what we do is traffic. So it's not just about, well, I could have caught that car. Well, no, you can't because you, you're not just driving the car. You've got 20 different things going around in your brain. All I, If I get you, uh, do you drive a car? Yeah, yeah. If I get you to drive 100 mile an hour through your village or your town centre and I ask you to recite the alphabet backwards at the same time as tap on your leg and go like that, you'd probably crash your car. So everyone would watch the footage and go, well, you didn't catch that. I could call that. Well, it's not about that simple. I'm thinking about, like I said, the logistics, the road traffic law, the, my exemptions of what I can and can't do, how my vehicle is yeah. under under the skidding conditions. Well, I'm still going, yeah, can I have another unit at A650 at so-and-so? Can I have another unit at so-and-so? So I don't need them to do that. I can do that. So what we will do is, when we're doing that, I'll just say, I'll use radio. But then when it gets to a certain level, like with Baby Ben, he'd already been on patrol. He'd already been in CID. He'd already So he knew how to use radio. So all I'd say to him is, all I want you to do is pick the radio up and listen to what I'm saying and then say to the people down the radio, right, I'm at A650, 70 miles an hour. So they click on A650, 70 miles an hour. And then what you're doing is you're building them up with the confidence. And it's the same when you're either in beat or it's you're even in traffic. It's all about letting them, dangling them out a little bit, letting them know if they're going to make a mistake, it's safe to pull them back in, not dangling out a little bit. If you make a mistake, you've screwed yourself. It's that little yeah. bit. Of, I always said to people when you come with me, I'll never make you look foolish and I'll never embarrass you, but I'll no, never put you in danger. But just trust me. So if I'm saying to you now, if I shout at you, pick the radio up now, Ethan, and shout down code zero, which means officer's been attacked. I expect you to pick the radio up and shout code zero because I'm the one in charge. I'm the one that's seen something that you haven't seen. You might turn around and say, well, why would I do that? Well, I haven't seen it. It's not that bad. It's not about what you see. I'm the tutor. So I will never make you get a, a nine. I would rather get the beating for you. So I'd stand in the way 
then you, because if you get a beating in your first week, you'll probably never go back out on active duty. So yeah. you are trying to spin a lot of these plates all at once, but it's just down to your experience. Now, what we do in the police now, and being honest with you, you've got so many young bobbies coming through that don't have the experience, and then they're now tutoring, and then those bobbies are coming through that don't have the experience, and they're tutoring. So it's getting watered down massively, and it's only getting watered down because all the old hats, seasoned bobbies, are all either getting old and leaving, or they're trying to get too many people through, and there's not enough people, basically, because the government cuts on beat to be able to tutor. So you're not getting that level of experience anymore to be able to tutor. And then when some people are making mistakes, they're making massive mistakes. And then yeah. where that thing is, I said to you, where I won't make you look foolish and I won't hang you to dry. I want you to dry and I'll protect you. Well, that first Bobby hasn't got enough on him to know when the other Bobby's making the full mistake, to realise when the other Bobby's making the full mistake. So there's a lot of issues that can come up. And there's a lot of those that are raising heads in social media at the moment. There's a lot of roles that are coming out or on news that are, people are getting thrown on the bus for. And all it is, it's just about they've cut too many bobbies and they're trying to replace that. And it's not, you're not doing it the right way. You're not, you're not going back to grassroots and basic training with stuff. So but that's another conversation, is that? <laughs> yeah, I want to, I, I want to get onto that bit later because I've got a whole interest yeah. in the, you know, the funding for the police and the training and stuff. But so take it back to when you were in that, you know, that 10 week training. How long was it before you started to feel competent as an officer? If you want the honest truth, I had 19 years and I still didn't feel confident. Really? Yeah, you don't. Because the idea being is, it's like you, are you at university? Yeah. Right, so it's like you going to university every day and then realising you're logging on to your computer and you realise laws changed. Or the thing you're learning's changed again. So you'll start doing it and you realise then again it's changed again week after. And then the policy for that law has changed somewhere else. But it's all right on your campus, but when you go to another campus, it's changed Different. again. And it's it, you never... I were booking people in when I, when I had 19-year service, and I still was scared to go to custody desk because I just didn't know what I was doing. I, I thought, I'm getting this wrong here. Because there's bobbies that were below you, younger in service, that had it all up there because they just come out of university. But the angle yeah. got the practical side, and where you've got all the practical side, well, they've changed the law two weeks ago. And well, you see a lot of stuff with auditors now. Oh, they've changed this law, they've changed that law, and people saying, "Oh, so and so tourism act." Well, we don't know because it comes out and it comes out on things saying, "Oh, you you challenge them on this law," and then also if you get it wrong, well, it's like, well, why I haven't got it wrong? Government's got it wrong. Government put it on systems, told us to act on this law, and we. It's not like we're just sitting back and we're we're playing like snap with a set of cards and holding up well we'll use this card and today. waiting yeah yeah and then while oh, we're gonna look foolish and use it we you just get told this is the law because you've got so many lot you right think about this you've got to learn all your bylaws so around what's around your area you've got to learn all the common laws you've got to learn human rights and you've also got to learn all the laws that you deal with so you've got to learn all the laws in regards to theft burglary rape murder motor vehicles trafficking and those might be split into 10 different groups. Uh, I, I'm an expert in road traffic law because that's what I did. Um, there's a massive difference when people say, oh, X, Y, and Z. There's a difference between driving license categories, vehicle weights and measures, trucks, has chems, the, the motorway use, what's what's known as a normal public road, um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, bylaw for paths, you know, for, you've got the right of way going across a, a car road traffic law carriages and conveyances from 1832 which was a horse on the road you've got to learn all these plus you've got to learn all burglary law and all that sort of thing and it's just it's not easy to do it's just completely and utterly it fries your mind um but yeah um i forgot where i was going with this um, I, for me though that like having to learn all those laws like i can imagine the first day you sit there and they're like you know they start explaining that you've got yeah. to sort of know all this or, or somewhat know it my head would i just lose my head straight away because it, what, it's that thing yeah. of realizing how much there is and how yeah, little is, well, you it's are never, it's, it's a never-ending growing bubble this is the difference because everything changes so when you have confidence law changes because technology changes like when i i joined there were no really mobile phone laws you could i'm not being funny you, you could drive on your mobile phone i remember being on beat driving on mobile phone 
because it went against the law. And then now laws change because technology changes, um, rights of, you didn't have TVs in cars. And then now your screen on the TV, it's down to what your screen's made out of for your LED, LCD, and whatever, before it's classes, are you watching a TV or have you got a display like in a... Um, uh, Tesla. A yeah, like a Tesla. It, well, technically, it's a TV because you play... So there's all these... And that's what I'm saying. So you've got to know every single law in regards to this. So when you're challenged on the street, you've got to know them all. But then you've got to know police procedures. So every single yeah. thing like that, have you put your camera on? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you got all, are you up to date on all your empty hand skills, on your CS gas, your baton training, your method of entry training, your advanced driving, your teapot training, all them as well. And then plus when you go into the station, you're doing all your forms, because you do your files, your MG3s, MG4s, MG5s, your statements, then dealing with CPS direct, and then there might be six here to cover 100,000 people. And then... <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So yeah. I've never felt I've never felt confident. I've never felt like I'm driving around in a police car and being like, yeah, I'll deal with that. And yeah, and get out of job and right, right, this is so and so. Let's drag him in and do this, that, and other and put his file in. And then you never feel because everything grows all the time. But I think if you are that sort of Bobby, you're a dick. If you're that person that acts like that, you're a dick, and that's yeah. when people end up getting in trouble. You get out with a job, and if you don't know, there were some jobs I get out with, and I'm, I'm, I'm being funny here, but I've got no idea. I'm, I'm going to say I've got no idea, but I'll get you an answer within the next three hours, and I'll ring you up and tell you. Because people be like, just say, for instance, um, I've been on a truck for five and a half hours, but my rest period for driving a truck's four and a half hours, but I've only driven four hours, 20 minutes before the truck went from France to Dover. But I know I'm under EU law, but when I've set off, time difference is one hour. But then I've set off and I've drawn four miles up road, which has gone into my four and a half hours rest time, and I need to pull over. But I haven't got a seatbelt on because my ASCAM card and my fire extinguisher don't match. And I'm stood outside the oven. What the fuck are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll find out... But I don't have a clue, and they expect you to know all this, and you can't, yeah. you can't possibly know everything. So, yeah, I think confidence is something you you know you've got, but I'm confident in saying I don't know, and you can't know everything. You, you, there's no Bobby in the world that knows everything, and even the higher you up, you get in ranks, the less you remember because you become more of a businessman or more of a figures man than what you do as a Bobby. So, yeah, there's yeah. Bobby's that. I mean, my lass is a detective sergeant, so she has sergeants come in and ask her. She has sergeants that are more experienced and less experienced because you just can't know everything. And on traffic, yeah. there were things that I were an expert in, but there are also other things that I wasn't, and other traffic bobbies were an expert in. So you yeah. come in office, and if you aren't sure, you go, in regards to OPL law, drink driving, so and so, and someone will go, no, it's section this, that, and other, and it's because of this, and you go, right, okay. And then you'd ask them to explain it again. So that's how it goes. There's so, there's so much knowing. No matter who you are in the world, you're never going to know it all. No. So you, when you became a traffic cop, did you find it easier? Well, not easier, but like, were you more, say, say confident doing that than the previous roles? Because obviously it's a bit more specific to yeah. the road and cars and things like that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Being traffic, you're always first at a pursuit or you're always first at an ongoing burglary. So you still got to do your burglary stuff. But it's easy to jump on someone and say, you locked up for burglary. And then when beat officers come there, you go, what locked up for? And they'd say, oh, it's this, that, and other. And you go, yeah, yeah. Or you can go to a domestic and then you get to a domestic and Bobby beat officers say, sorry, mate, thanks for coming. We'll take this on because that's what you're there for. You're there. You've always got to get there within 15 minutes. So if there's no beat officers there, you've got to fly there and your high performance car, get there, but they're always going to be on the way. So you can get there, start dealing with it, and they're always going to leave you. But I've always had I've always been car mad, motorbike mad. I've always rode motorbikes since I was three years old. Anything with an engine I love. So I've loved that. You know, when you've got a first for stuff, you'd be stopping cars. Yeah. Um, you'd be stopping anything from Lamborghinis to the Back to the Future DeLorean, because there's one round here. Um, that's actually it's, it's used by Warner Brothers for different stuff, so it's a proper one, and it comes yeah. comes back to a time travel machine when you run it through PNC. Um, no yeah, it's it's really weird. Um, so you'd be dealing with every single car, then massive heavy goods vehicles. You'd be dealing with every single thing you can think of, uh, motorbikes, go karts. Oh, and it just gives you a first for that knowledge, and it's still it's still a vast 
channel and you're still going down it and you still not know everything. But yeah, being in traffic, you specialise in different things. So you specialise in drink driving, uh, you specialise in due care, plotting out at collisions, um, making, you know, if you if you get two cars that have been racing the crash, skid marks and dealing with skid marks and knowing where cars bounced off what wall and what what angle it took to go around another, you, do you know what I mean? You come an expert yeah. on crashes and stuff, and that's what I think I thrived at. I'm a very, very kind of hands-on man, and not so much academic, if that makes sense. Give yeah. me a brick and some and some like cement, and I'll build you a wall. Ask me to write about building your wall, and I struggle like hell. But yeah, yeah. traffic for me is it, it wasn't basically what I needed to do in my life, and it's something that I've always. It's given me so many opportunities, and it's it's the I I personally think it's the best job you can ever do. So. The training to be a traffic cop, like, because obviously when you, like, say on police interceptors and you see you're in these high-speed chases down a motorway going, like, 120 miles an hour, and you've got to try and safely pull someone over who's not pulling over. So you've got to, you know, sort of crash into them and pull them to one side in a way that doesn't kill them and doesn't kill you. Like, how do they train you for that sort of thing? All, all you, you've got massive courses for advanced courses, advanced driving, and all this sort of thing. But you, in regards to the tactical pursuit and containment, which you're on about the TPAC course, it's done in real time. So you're all advanced drivers. You've all got massive wool on your back. You've been at division. You've been in hundreds and hundreds of pursuits. You're not new to this, if that makes sense. So it's done in real time. It's done on motorways with real people, real pedestrians, wow. real, real vehicles, re- real bridges, real road work. It's just it's done in real time. So they'll set you up. They'll say, can you all make it? Whereabouts did you live in England? Uh, Cheshire. Whereabouts, sorry? Cheshire. Right, Cheshire. So they might say to you, right, go to Junction, whatever, 22 on M60 towards top of Manchester and wherever. Just give you a rough idea. And they'll say, observations, you've got four units, observations for a stolen Golf GTI registration, so-and-so, so-and-so. And they'll shout up, yeah, observations, just seen Golf GTI westbound or eastbound towards Leeds, nine zero miles an hour, lane three, just passing junction 19. So you'd sit there and it'd just come past you and have a driver training in it, be all over the road, on live motorway, all over the road, and then you'd engage in a pursuit with it. So you'd be, right, we are now engaging in a pursuit. We are now 130 miles an hour towards Leeds, M62. Um, and you'd have all your boxing vehicles with you. And you say, right, well, what we're going to do, we're going to do a three-cast box so they'd all shoot past and go on hard shoulder, 150 mile an hour. They'd get to a certain location. They'd start drawing traffic to a slow. You'd leave one gap so the bandit vehicle could go down. And then once it comes out, you formulate your wrap. You get a wrap on, block road off, wrap it. Everyone gets in cars and you drive off. And you do that at loads of different locations. And you do it for a long time before you technically... Uh, a certain skill level. There's no mucking about. You, you If you fail one of the roles quickly... And one of the roles is you might be, just say, for instance, before you put your box on, you might be 100 miles an hour. And if you can think of three traffic cars at 100 miles an hour across lane one, two, and three, and you've got a bandit vehicle in lane two, you've got to, like, draw quickly. So you've literally got to go like that, draw to the side, but you've got to touch your wing mirror. So there's no gap. And then you've got to bring it down to a stop. And if you if you overcook your vehicle by two, four, 100 miles an hour, coming down to a stop instantly, you failed. There's no, well, his car's gone a little bit further forward. You failed. It's such a high pressure and real situation that when you've got it, you've got it. And then the sign you off and say, right, your teapot trained. The final scenario is, though, the final scenario, it's a real scenario. You don't know where it's going to happen, what's going to go on. And this involves doing your stinger or wherever. So you just deploy from your base and it's a real life situation. And you've got to do full comms, full boxing and everything. And it's extremely, extremely hard. And it's not like you pass and not like everyone passes. And you only get another chance. If you get another, you get another chance to fail, you're off traffic. You're done. You've been off. Wow. You've got to have those skills. That's why all these skills that we've got are so highly trained. We we, we are in certain pursuit areas. Bradford's one of them. Certain pursuit areas. It's, and not blowing smoke up the traffic cops' ass, But it's, it's second to none. You deal with so many dangerous drivers, so many so much crime. I mean, Bradford's rated at the moment most dangerous place to live in Europe. There's a bloody war on in Ukraine and Bradford's rated the most dangerous and violent place to live. And that's not Moss Side in Manchester or anywhere else in Birmingham or London. Um, so the people you are dealing with, proper, like I said, proper armed robbers, proper dangerous offenders, terrorists or whatever. Yeah. Um, and we are good at what we did. We are good at what we do. And you, 
that sort of thing. So yeah, it's one of those things where when we do it, we do it properly and professionally, but we do make tactical contact and we do run vehicles out way, but that's what we're trained to do. So what's the most common uh, crime that you deal with as a traffic cop? Um, either drink driving, drug driving, or pursuits like stolen vehicles, Hanoi pursuits, where they steal your car keys from your house and make off in your high-powered car, and it's down to us to get it back. So then uh, that's what we're trained to do. So as soon as a burglary happens, we get all the information over the channels. Uh, we get all the MPR reports, the, the camera activations, and then we're, we're living in a world now of technology, so we're not literally two minutes behind it, and it's about us doing that and to bring it to a stop. So it's either burglaries, ongoing burglaries, stolen cars, and or drink drug driving. The drink drug driving absolutely pisses me off. I yeah. can never understand why people do it, but it seems like it just the numbers increase year on year. It's like, never going to go away. It's it's so frustrating though because sure, like in my head, if I've had one if I've had one drink, I'm not even going to attempt to get behind the wheel, but. You hear some people and like, oh, two pints, yeah, fine. But it doesn't work like that, does it? It works yeah. on, like, is it? It's like your body itself, how it takes the alcohol yeah. and all that it stuff. Works, it works on micrograms of alcohol in your breath. So in theory, you have a glass of whiskey, run it around your mouth, spit it out, you're over the limit. You haven't swallowed okay. it. It's what's on your breath at the time. So that's how it works. So when someone goes, oh, I can have three pints and drive, well, you can't because it's what's on your breath. It's not, well, I don't feel drunk. It's not to do with you feeling drunk. It's what people don't get. It's what's the quantity that's on your breath. So that's as simple as I can make it. So when people have like a glass of wine, they can blow over straight away because it's not about what's in the system. It's what's in the throat, in the stomach and in the mouth. And it's how many droplets coming out. And it's how many micrograms of alcohol are in those droplets. It's that simple, really. So if someone refuses to do a roadside breath test, how do you go about that situation then? It's instant arrest. You've got simple facts. If we pulled you over, we're saying now you've been stopped because obviously suspicion of drink driving. I'm requiring a breath sample by law. Um, and then if they say, well, I'm not giving you one, right, you're locked up. So you've either got to produce one or you're arrested. And when you get to the station, it's like, right, we need a breath sample for you from an intoxicized machine. And if they say, right, I'm not giving you one, it's a straight up charge. <laughs> straight up charge and then when it goes to court it's not an argument it's a straight up disqualification it's not well i didn't want to go one because of x y and z it's just straight up you've you've classed as failed to provide so it goes straight in front of a judge and judge says if you if you'd have done alcohol test in station you might have blown under and you might have blown just slightly over so you'd have been given a six month disqualification or a 200 pound fine but we'll never know that but because you didn't blow, we're going to give you a four-year disqualification and a £2,000 fine. So it's instantly sure. four times worse not to blow. So people yeah. think, well, I'm going to not blow and I'll get off of it. It's like the bigger the penalty, the bigger the fine. So I didn't realise that there was a difference between like, so what's the threshold there where you're over, but it's going to be a lesser fine or lesser sentence, whatever, compared to like the extreme ones, like the four years? So all fines are based on your wage, in theory, or um, what you give back to the system. So if you look at uh, Amma Partland, he got, you know, from Manton Deck, he got caught yes, yeah. driving. And I think he got some like an £80,000 fine because they do it on a percentage of your wage, but he's taking on millions of pounds a year. But if that were me, you've got to find like 200 quid. Yeah. You see what I mean? But it's because of what they put on, or it's wage-related. Um, so just say, for instance, the legal limit's 35 micrograms. So you've got about 35 micrograms in your breath. But you don't get charged up to 39. So anything. Right, okay. So you, you blow at roadside, you blow 42. You're, taking, you're arrested, taken to the police station. That's a screening device. You put on the intoxilizer. You blow on the intoxilizer device. And the legal limit's 35. But if it goes up to 39, you're not charged. You're free to go. But they won't let you go until you your level goes below 35 because you might just go get in another car. 40 and above is a charge. But if you're below 40, 41, is that the same as below 172? Yeah. It's, you're just it's over the threshold. Incomparable. Yeah, so you're just over the threshold of not being charged. So when it goes to court, they will be saying, he's blown 40, he's just over the threshold. 
he's not really what you call drunk. He's just literally, he's got that little bit of micrograms extra in his breath. That's different to being 10 times over limit. So that's yeah. what they'll they'll decide at the time. But it's down to magistrates and CPS and everyone to deal with that. I just watched a video before, actually, the one that you put out on the difference between like magistrates court and crown court. And I actually never knew there was a difference. <laughs> yeah, there's a... Um... There's the civil court, there's coroner's court, but I didn't want to go into that. Oh, I could do that another time. But yeah, there's a, there's a massive difference and everyone gets technically sent to magistrate's court. So we always deal with OPLs in magistrate's court, drink drivers in magistrate's court. The only time we won't do is if it's a serious offence or they've been caught four, I think it's three times now or four times because that's prisonable. So they'll probably yeah. send them straight to magistrate's court and say, right, we're going to send them to magistrate's court because you're going to get a big fine and you're going to get prison sentence we think it's going to be longer than six months yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember watching uh one of the interceptor episodes where uh the, there was a guy who stole his brother's audi and he ended up it ended up over a railing at a traffic light the white one yeah yeah, yeah. and is yeah and you would i remember you taking the piss a bit like your brother's gonna fucking kill you <laughs> and it yeah. was like but i was just thinking when i when i was watching it, i was like what did he think was got like what was he doing to get it, you know, like, as it was, like it was literally lopsided on a railing, crashed into a traffic light. Like, so you th you, th you wonder what goes through some people's heads because that was just fucking stupid. But that's that, that's what I'm wondering about. That's Bradford mentality for you. People make off just for the sake of making off, and everyone thinks yeah. because they're in a golf R or they're in an S3, they can drive. But your car is only kitted out to drive. It's what people don't realise at a certain. Uh, place, time, temperature, and speed on road. It's like your car will do all that driving for you, and it'll get to a certain point and say, a car can only go around a certain corner at a certain speed, regardless of what car you're in. So you might go around in a Golf R, and Golf R will go around at 90 miles an hour around this corner. But that's the maximum it can go around. But that's if it's at 24 degrees on road and it's dry. If it's 23 degrees on road and it's slightly damp, it might go around at 72 miles an hour. But everyone yeah. thinks, oh, I got around there last time at 93. I'm going to go around there at 93. And it, everyone thinks that they, they can drive because their cars can do certain things and they're, they're high performance interior of other cars. And it's only when you get to a junction thinking, hang on a minute, I'm going like 90 mile an hour in a 20 mile an hour limit. Your car, no matter what car you're in, is not going to stop in that distance. So that's what yeah. kills all these drivers in Bradford uh, or seriously injures or maims them because they just think it's just a, it's a play area. And then everyone else can do it, so I'm going to do it. And then they end up either killing themselves, killing someone else, or wrapping the car on a tree. And it just goes to show that's an S3 that he was driving at the time. And it just simply made up from Dave, literally 30 seconds before, and he couldn't control it, couldn't drive it, and then end up writing it off. So, silly boy. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the weirdest incidents you've ever had to deal with as a traffic cop? Uh, Christ, mate, you're, you're talking like 15 years with this. Um, I think there's there's a lot of things to do with obviously cars, but there's a lot of things to do with jobs that you never thought happen or never thought. It's like I remember someone saying there's a bloke kidnapped a woman and he's 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 gone in this building with her, and then I remember getting out in the centre of England and thinking, what the fuck? and it's an old um, cattle place where they used to sell cows, and I went in and all could hear this and moaning and can. All this stuff going on, and I've got in and filming a porno, and he's got a pinned against the wall, and he's banging out. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, there's, there's stuff like that, and it, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just weird. It's like locking up, like fighting SpongeBob SquarePants, and locking up people dressed as bananas, and on New Year's Eve, and you know, you just think you never do. I remember being on patrol with my mate Adam, and we we're up top of Oakworth, and then we're driving down this road in the middle of nowhere, and we turn around and there's a there's a kangaroo just looking at us outside the car, bouncing outside the car. And, like, and I was like, I look at it and I'm like, and I like do this, like, and I, I just wave to a kangaroo. And basically, there's a, is it a, I don't know, is it a wallaby or whatever? Wallaby, yeah. Well, the, the, it's escapes all over pit local papers and it's seen as headlights. And it's like, oh, it must be my mum and dad come to pick me up, you know, a farmer or whatever. So we're driving down and there's this kangaroo. It's like, I was just looking at, <laughs> And it's this kangaroo bouncing on the side of the car, and it's something you just don't see in centre of Keithley and West York. So this kangaroo following <laughs> you down. So there's all there's all sorts of stuff. There's catching people on on scenes at burglaries doing stupid stuff. There's there's pursuits we've had where 
with people literally where they've got no front car left um, and they're still going for it or then they're, they're jumping at passenger side and they say drivers just run off. Um, it's just you, you, you've got a world of just weirdness of, like I said, you watched that one about truck driver where he's dressed as girl. No, I haven't seen that one. It's on one of my videos where, like I said, there's this girl running off from police in the middle of the night in this really, really dodgy area where you, even I won't walk through it in the middle of the night. And it's this girl with these little pop socks on and this little checkered skirt and, you know, and this white blouse. And I'm like, it's all right, come here, come here. It's like we thought she was being raped or she'd been sexually assaulted. And I've run around this truck in this alleyway and I'm like, what the fuck, where's she gone? And eventually I've gone round and I banged outside the truck door and I saw this bald head blokes put his head up and his head got lipstick on him eye eye shadow and there's been two truckers one's dressed as a girl in pop socks fucking having oh sex with this other trucker and he's like what so we've got him out of truck in his hair he's like 50 year old bloke or whatever it is wearing his little girl pop socks and his little checkered skirt and he's like oh. <laughs> so yeah we always say you say when you're in bed at night, you're tucked in bed at night, and lights go down. You don't see the evil that comes out on streets and crawls the streets at night. You don't see what walks down the alleyways and people dressed as clowns at three in the morning, studying alleyways. Yeah. You just you just don't see it, and it's like bizarre when we see. Well, like you just don't you just don't get shocked by it anymore. It's just one of those things you're just thinking like, well, this is where we're living in now. So people wearing gimp masks and leather suits and uh, each to their own. But yeah, but yeah, it's just a. It's a world of 19 years of just going through the weirdest, weirdest things you could ever want to know. So you, you said there, like, you'll be in the middle of the night and you'll be seeing all sorts of stuff. So the shift, obviously, as a police officer, you do shift work, don't you? So how did the shift work affect not just you, but, like, your family as well? Like, because obviously you miss Christmases, yeah. New Year's, birthdays, all those sorts of things. So how did that affect all of it? When I was younger, when I first joined at 25, it wasn't really an issue because you were single and you just lived for going out and having a good laugh. So technically, you weren't really bothered. Um, then it got to a point where all my friends were going out. Um, um, you get in a relationship with someone and they want you there for Christmas Day. Then it started getting harder. And then when I became a dad, um, it was extremely hard because you were missing birthdays. You were missing, like I said, parties. You are missing... And I don't mean like as in like, oh, someone's party on a Friday night, you're missing birthday parties, you're missing christenings, um, like uh, New Year's Eve's, and you're missing out vital parts in people's lives, and it, it become really draining. Now, a lot of people say that I didn't work Christmas a lot of time, and I didn't, to be honest with you. I think I was, I can't remember the exact number, but I think 19 years, I think I probably worked four or five, something like that. But the idea being is I was always one of these people that I'd say to every single person on shift, right, you pick all the best holidays. You pick everything you want in six-week holidays because they all have kids. You pick what you want. But all I want is technically, say, from the 17th of December off till the 3rd of January off. That's what I want. So I use yeah. all my leave for that. And I'm saying, well, hang on. If you're going away in, in summer, you want Easter off. You want your, your anniversary off. You want this off. You've got to give something back. Then a lot of those bobbies were fine because they'd be getting double time on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and Christmas and New Year's Eve. Um, and it was very, very draining because, like I said, you never get these times back. And now my Harriet's, um, my daughter's turning nine in two weeks' time. My son's just turned six. And you can't get these times back. Um, and not only that, it's, it's the thing, the stress that puts on your body when it's like 27 degrees outside and you're trying to sleep in daytime. Um, the fact you don't sleep, so you're working. And like when I got very, very poorly, I were only having three hours sleep, so I couldn't function mentally, I couldn't function emotionally, and I was having to work 12-hour night shifts or whatever you were doing, because you're always working on. Uh, it wouldn't be the fact that you'd just be working that time, the fact that you might start work at nine and finish at seven, but you'd be up at six in the evening, you'd work yeah. all the way to seven, you wouldn't go to bed till probably nine in the morning, uh, and then you'd have to get up and try and have your tea, which would be bizarre, you'd have to spend like seven hours in bed, tossing and turning, you get up and you'd have a Sunday dinner. For your yeah. breakfast, it just be throw your body clock off. Then at three in the morning, you're eating your cheese sandwiches and your bag of crisps. It just, it never sat right. Your weight fluctuate, your emotions are fluctuating. It's just not good for you. So yeah, the people that do it now, big kudos to them. The people that do it in emergency services, such as fire, ambulance, and police, yeah, massive respect for them. But no, there's no way I could do it now. I'm 46 years old, and I need to be in bed for nine o'clock every night because I'm. <laughs> <doing>. <laughs> so 
Is it like is is it a compulsory thing then to do the shift work? Can you not? Is there no way out of it in those you know like the ambulance services, police, fire services, all that? Is it just it's always shift work? Um, it, it's always shift work if you're on uniform patrol. If you're on nine 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 response, shift work. But don't get me wrong, there's other jobs in the police. It's call handling where you get the nine 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 calls, where you you might be registered to work early turn or whatever. But they normally work shifts as well. But there'd be jobs in the police, like safer schools, um, schools there as an officer, driver training. You'd be working on drugs team. There'd be things that do where you won't have to work shifts, but they're specialist roles that you apply for. And it doesn't mean you might work a late shift, so you might finish at midnight, but you never work a night shift. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, yeah, the, the police is a 24-hour organisation. So mm. it's quite rare or hard to get these roles where you are Monday, Friday, 9 to 5. Uh, the few and far between and very highly sought after, but the mundane roles, they're not mm. like action roles. They're not like, well, I want to be in traffic, but I only want to work early. It doesn't work like that. You've got to work. Plus, when you do work nights, that's when a lot of good jobs come in. That's when a lot of top pursuits come in, a lot of crime comes in. Um, a lot of things that you think, oh, I'll, I'm glad I work that night. Um, not everything happens how you want it to happen. So a lot of people that do work Monday to Friday might be sat in an office with no windows. You know, natural yeah. light, uh, can't talk to anyone. So even though you might want to work that time, you might not want to work in the office doing that thing. So I always said work in uniform is the best job you can get. You're out there, you're doing the job, you're meeting members of people. And don't forget you do other things as well that people don't. So you might work concerts, Robbie Williams concerts, or you might do stuff where you're blocking roads off of major feature films. You might do things where you're escorting Queen or Prime Minister and you're doing... Olympics, uh, so there's, there's, there's good stuff that you can be doing. There's not just like normal stuff like you expect to be in uniform. They might take you, might say, right, we need 250 bobbies in London to do Olympics. So the next thing you're down in London working Olympics meeting, oh, Olympians, you, there's, you know yeah. what I mean? There's, there's loads of things you can do, but yeah, um, if you're going to be on uniform patrol, you've got to work shifts, unfortunately, and that, that's the way it'll always be. Here's what you can expect from part two coming next Monday at 6 a.m. GMT, 5 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. He said, well, I, I, I can put my hand up now and I say I've got mental health issues. I know I'm not right. I can tell you I'm poorly and I'll never be right ever again. The first day back after my funeral, I'd have gone back to work that day. I'd have been drunk. Ambulance arrived and they started crying. All paramedics started crying. It's just something yeah. you should never, ever see. But it's not easy when you, you're classed as a, a YouTuber because like people say, oh, what content are you bring out next one? Well, I didn't do it to bring content out. I did it to tell you about my journey and talk about men's mental health. My career ended for a reason. Everything stops for a reason. If I can stop one person from committing suicide by just talking to them, I'll do it.